This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. We're also heard in the Glens Falls Lake George region on 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper, paper uh, based in Schenectady. But uh, Sarah Foss uh, does a, a lot of enjoys the outdoors, maybe I, how I should put it, and uh, sometimes writes about the Adirondacks. And we have signals up there. Uh, you did a column not too long ago about a new report from the Adirondack Council about people using the park. More people are using the park, but that's good news, right? Yeah, I do think I mean I do think it's good news that more people are experiencing the Adirondacks, that more people are, you know, enjoying what's really one of New York's great natural uh features. So, I mean, I'm happy more people are up there. But I guess that's probably what we're getting to. The downsides of having more visitors are, you know, trail overuse. Do we have enough personnel to kind of handle the parking headaches that have sort of cropped up as more people go up there to hike? Um, Rangers have complained that they are doing lots lots of rescues, that the number of rescues they do each year has been been climbing and that's you know exhausting work to go out in the woods and and look for people who are lost um you know late at night in bad weather um we see reports of that you know every week they're out there doing rescues mm-hmm. so so with the increase in people have come you know you know some headaches hmm. what can be done about it uh, I, I, apparently the Adirondack Council which is what you describe an interest group or something like that uh they say the state's not doing enough. What could the state do about this? I mean, they highlighted a bunch of different things in that report, not just overuse, but also looking at, you know, should when boaters go up, should it be mandatory for them to have to stop to look for, like, invasive species, um, you know, washing stations, basically, you know, that type of environmental impact. But one thing that I've highlighted before is that, you know, the time has probably come for them to increase their personnel, the forest rangers, which that, you know, the number of forest rangers in New York statewide and in the Adirondacks has remained really flat. Uh, It hasn't increased from what it was a decade ago. And we know that the number of people going to the Adirondacks, you know, is, is much greater and that the number of land they actually are supposed to cover is greater too, because the state has added more forest to the park. So, so they just have a bit more to do, and so some of their tradi- more traditional functions like um, education, outreach to visitors, that has sort of, you know, they're not doing as as much of this, and, and you know, and that's the type of, you know, outreach that might actually help present prevent some of these mishaps that occur on the trails. I believe one of the more recent times that you were up in the Adirondacks or you were out in out in the woods, if you will, on a family vacation was not that long ago. And uh, you tied it in a column uh, to the mass shootings that uh, occur in America because you were actually cut off from any sort of uh, media for some time. And then you come back and as well, there was another mass shooting. Right. We were camping in Vermont. So, you know, it really is, I mean, there's certain places you can go in the woods and you'll still have, um, 
cell service. I feel like, you know, there's a lot more cell service than there used to be. So places that are fairly remote, a lot of times you can still get service. I imagine a lot of these people calling for assistance in the Adirondacks are actually able to get a signal somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a place you can go and you feel like you're out, you know, you're away from it all. Um, and that's part of the charm. And again, you know, having tons of people, that's another downside too. If you go to some of these more popular spots, you may not feel like you're really getting away from from it all. Like I've been to Yellowstone National Park to, you know, Old Faithful, the geyser. I mean, it's like crowded with tons of people. It's not really like a remote woods right. experience. It's something a little different. What uh, Back to what you wrote about, what, what was your reaction on hearing about what was then the latest uh, mass shooting, but there have been a couple since then. You know, I think my reaction, it doesn't always change much. You know, like everyone, I'm I'm just tired of hearing these stories and sort of the inability to come up with any sort of uh, solution or strategy that makes you feel like this isn't a possibility. You know, that's, you know, that's extremely frustrating. I mean, statistically... You know these shootings are still are still rare, but I think they're common enough, and they occur at such a variety of sort of public events that you do begin to have the feeling that there's no place you could go publicly that would really be be safe from that type of thing. Whether it's a you know a garlic festival like I went to two weekends ago in Bennington, Vermont, or you know, a jazz festival like I went to last weekend in Albany. You know, any of these places where you go where you're out in public, it's, you know, you do have a feeling of vulnerability. And it's, you know, sort of taking, I think, an unfortunate toll on just public life and feeling like, you know, it's safe to to gather. I mean, even if these shootings are rare and we never have one, the headlines are so disturbing and the sort of, you know, continued refrain of like, well, how did this happen and what can we do to Mm. stop it? I think, you know, leads to this kind of just, maybe I'm just better off staying in the woods Hmm. type of, you know, feeling, which is not how I conduct my life, but it's sort of a reaction that I think, you know, is, is understandable. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. One ongoing story in the Schenectady area, but it does affect the whole Capital District, has to do with Saint, the former St. Clair's Hospital, where the uh, pension fund apparently is out of money, and there are uh, over a thousand, I believe, uh, pensioners who've either had their pensions drastically cut or they've been eliminated. And the latest thing is uh, the that I, I saw this week in the news is that the pensioners are, or some of them anyway, are going to file suit uh, against the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany and maybe other people or other institutions? Yes, the St. Clair's uh, Corporation as as well. They filed lawsuits against, a lawsuit against those two entities, the diocese and the St. Clair's Corporation, over the the handling, or, you know, you might say the mishandling of the uh, the pension fund. I mean, this has sort of been an ongoing disgrace, sort of the, you know, what happened to these people who earned their pensions and then found out that they wouldn't be available. You know, it's it's tough to fix that problem when you're retired and expecting a pension check. Uh, and they were basically told, like, oh, never mind, you won't be, 
getting it or it won't be what you expected. So this is just the next front, I think, um, in this kind of out in this ongoing effort to get these people what they're entitled to, you know, what they what they earn. I mean, there's also an effort at the state level. It didn't work out during the last legislative session to come up with a solution, some kind of, uh, you know, bailout with the state and the diocese working together to, you know, to help these people. But nothing came out of that effort, and I would say, you know, the lawsuit is the next kind of mm-hmm. logical step. Another uh, aspect, apparently, as I understand it, the state attorney general, is it Letitia James? She's in her office is investigating uh, the situation. Yes, they're looking into it as well. And they um, came out earlier, it was either this week or last week, uh, and she said they had looked at, you know, obtaining some insurance for the fund, you know, maybe a year or two before you know, things completely fell apart. So one thing she's learned, I think, is that there's some awareness there that, you know, things weren't as they should be in the, with the fund, that there was, you know, some effort that didn't quite come to fruition to try to better protect the pension fund or obtain insurance. And, um, you know, I'm interested to see what else she comes up with in her investigation of this. I was, you know, I was sort of heartened by the report the other day. I mean, it seems that she's, you know, taking it seriously, you know, for sort of, you know, some people might have the concern that this is a a local issue that isn't going to get the proper attention, you know, the attention it deserves from state officials, but you know, maybe maybe that's not quite right. Maybe um, the attorney general will be able to provide a sense of what happened and what you know, offer some recommendations for what ought to be done about it and how to prevent this from ever happening again. You uh, did a, a column, a, a, a sort of a local column, if you will, involving a, a neighborhood in Schenectady uh, not too long ago. Uh, in the Bellevue neighborhood, and specific specifically, and there are some people making an effort to restore an overground, overgrown baseball field. What's going on there? Well, uh, what's happened is uh, this story began a few months back when a, a resident, a Schenectady resident who lives next to this ball field, went to the city council to complain about the uh, kind of dilapidated conditions there, overgrown. Um, ble- you know, plants growing into the bleachers, a uh, clubhouse and a dugout that are just in very poor, you know, condition. And so he wanted the city to do something about this. And I, I think that'll probably happen. I think they will demolish some of these structures, which aren't, you know, very salvageable. But in addition to that kind of concern, growing concern for the condition of this field from the city council, there's been sort of a more grassroots effort to do something about it. And a couple of young men who um, sort of joined forces with a resident who originally complained about the conditions of the field organized a big cleanup over the weekend. And their hope is to, you know, create a youth program that would start up, you know, probably in the spring to summer where they would use this field, which really hasn't been used in a long time, to do youth programming, different kinds of games, um, 
get kids, you know, with an emphasis on at-risk kids in Schenectady, you know, doing something productive, you know, fun, recreation. So, I mean, we'll see what develops from that. I mean, they do have a lot of work ahead of them, but they were able to marshal a lot of volunteers to come out and um, really get this field looking a lot better than it has in a, in a long time. So, you know, I'm always encouraged to see that type of energy where, you know, it's not the city that is the one that's... I mean, it'd be nice if the city did certain things. Like, I don't know why the field was in this condition, mm-hmm. but it's always nice to see residents kind of taking control of a situation and coming up with their own solutions and really thinking of how to bring the community uh, together. And that's what was happening um, this weekend during the uh, the field cleanup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could bode well for the for the future. Yeah, sounds good. And also maybe on the a positive sign or something finally getting done, you've written about this before, but there was a derelict building on Jefferson Street in uh, Schenectady, somewhere in the general area of where the casino is, or correct me if I'm wrong there, but finally that uh, building was demolished. Yes, it was finally demolished after years and years of just sort of deteriorating. Um, it was finally knocked down. Uh, neighbors, I think, are pretty happy. And this was just a long time coming. It was, you know, privately owned for a long time, which, you know, is always a challenge. You can't just go knocking down private property. And, you know, this was an absentee landlord, hadn't paid taxes. So gradually the city was able to take ownership of it. I think last spring that happened, I would have to check the dates. So they took ownership of it, which was sort of a crucial step in sort of you know, getting possession of it so that they themselves could arrange for it to be demolished, which the land bank uh, did the demolition and obtained the funding to do it. But um, without the city being able to finally, you know, take control of this building, that wouldn't have happened. So that is just a cumbersome process. I think, you know, we probably understand why you have to go through these hoops of, trying to get the property owner to do something, then when they're not doing anything, going through the next steps, when they fall in the foreclosure, finally taking ownership of the building. But, you know, it's aggravating to look at a building like that, and then the solution isn't simple or, or quick. It does it does take time. So this is kind of a happy story. Uh, there's tons of buildings like this in Schenectady, but finally this one has come down. So mm-hmm. it's something to be happy about. One other thing, and I forgot to mention this to you before we started, um, Lady Liberty is back. The statue that was taken down at the park by uh, Schenectady County Community College was in storage for a long time. You wrote about that, and now all of a sudden it's been installed somewhere at the at the corner of Union and uh, Union Street near Erie Boulevard. Yes, the corner of Union and Erie. So, of course, this has not, Lady Liberty is back out, but this has not ended sort of the controversy about her. The um, the residents who were, you know, lobbying for her return, they're not happy with this location, I would say, overall, that they're really displeased. They wanted her back in the park where she came from. They don't like this location on the corner. They think she's hard to see. I myself, I don't think it's that bad a location. Um, Perhaps that's just because I often drive down that street. I feel like I'm seeing Lady Liberty all the time, whereas in the past I I didn't see her. And it is a corner where you do get pedestrians. And I think 
uh, the city is doing some streetscape improvements, and this could, you know, this could be a this is going to be a part of that. That's going to like make that corridor look nicer. But I can understand why people are frustrated, and I think part of the frustration just stems from the complete lack of communication around Lady Liberty. You know, I mean, I don't think it would have been. I mean, I, my, I think my position was like, this seems like something to celebrate and appreciate. Like, why keep it in storage and not explain what is happening with it? Like, it should, we should have a plan for it. It's not just something to hide away. Now she's back out there, but I think, you know, you can ask, you know, why didn't the city do more to announce her return? Yeah. Or you know, maybe the assumption was nobody's going to be happy with what we do. <laughs> right. So we'll put it back out there and issue a yep. statement and... And call it a day, but I still think there was a missed opportunity yeah. here to engage the public on this and to ask them, you know, maybe they had some ideas about where they wanted to see her. One of the complaints is that the city had her away in storage for such a long time, and she's not even really been been cleaned up, and that seems like another missed opportunity yes. to me. I don't know what would have prevented someone from pursuing a grant or trying to do a fundraising effort just to, you know, get her get her looking a little bit better, I guess. Yeah. And maybe we should say Lady Liberty is a replica of the statue. Of right. Liberty. We should say what Lady Liberty is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in, in interesting history, replica of the Statue of Liberty that was erected by local Boy Scout troop as part of this nationwide effort to put these replicas all over the country. And then we come to License Plate Gate. What's your take on uh, Governor Cuomo? Apparently uh, sticking with his plan for a twenty-five. Apparently sticking with his plan. Yeah, twenty-five dollar well, fee for new car license plates. Right. Uh, this was something where I guess I didn't feel that strongly about it initially. It might be because I didn't grow up in the state, so I didn't immediately react to it as like highway robbery. It is just twenty-five dollars. But you know, as we go further along, it does seem like. Why is this the hill we're all going to die on? I guess my final take was like, let's just drop this plan, the fee. There's other ways to handle this. If I mean, it actually got me looking around at license plates when I was driving to see if any of them just seemed like completely illegible, like this is some scourge on the right. roads. Because like, that's, part of the, gover- that's, part, of the that's part of the governor's, I'm his- sorry, that's part of the governor's uh, case is that he says you got to replace these old license plates. Right. And I mean, license plates, they will wear wear out. But I think people rightly pointed out that we're already used to driving through easy pass and cashless tolling. And, you know, I think a lot of people would know if they couldn't, if their license plates weren't red, because they'd be getting letters from like the Massachusetts DMV when they're on the mass bike saying, we can't read your license plate um, and, and bill you for your, you know, your driving on our our road and so i mean it did make me wonder about like things i've never thought about before like the lifespan of a of a license plate but even there i think there's probably alternative solutions beyond just mandating that everyone with a 10 year old license plate um get a new one i think we all know the kind of it's always held up as an example little old lady who barely ever drives her car she's owned it for like 11 years and it has like 50,000 miles on it and she keeps it in a garage almost all the time like that person probably doesn't need a new license plate someone like me who drives everywhere you know maybe I'd need a new license plate in seven years I mean who knows but 
I mean, what I read is that the Massachusetts, they ha- they entrust this task of telling people if they need a new license plate to, I think, inspection statements. So it's like a station. So it's part of the inspection mm-hmm. process. And yeah. I was like, maybe that makes sense. Like my, you know, my mechanic could, he could tell me if based on some standard, if I need a new license plate, I think I can say like, I bet there are a lot of people out there who their license plates are are fine. So I think, you know, it seems heavy handed. I mean, I do think the opponents of the fee are, are milking it a little bit, but I think Cuomo has all, has made himself a rich, a rich target in this, reg- yeah. in this regard by being so, you know, kind of stubborn and yeah, he won't give it up. Kind of goofy. Yeah. yeah. Goofy about yeah. it. Like, why is any of this yeah. necessary? I guess that's my, my okay. position. You've been listening to talk of the town on magic 590 plus 100.5. Also heard in the Glens Falls, Lake George region on 1410 and 96.9. Our guest was Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. This program will be available as a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore. <laughs>